0: Hi, I'm David Stoker and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support. Because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. So this is David Stoker, and today we are going to be talking to Tom Hill. Tom Hill is with the National Council on
1: Behavioral Health. For Behavioral Health.
0: right? For Behavioral Health. And uh, I may let him talk really quick about what the National Council for Behavioral Health does for those who aren't familiar with it.
1: Well, National Council, David, is—it's um, a, it's a large, large organization. that's a member organization. So we have um, a, a range of members that are uh, mental health and addiction providers as well as state associations. We have strategic partners. It's a very complex uh, uh, system that works really, really well. Uh, we have 150 staff, uh, mostly based in Washington, D.C., and we do uh, a combination of practice improvement and advocacy. Uh, So for every program that we put forward, we also do uh, policy work on Capitol Hill to to make sure that that, uh, everything uh, that we are proposing in terms of new practices and new development has uh, policy backup and regulatory backup. So it's a combination of those kinds of things and uh, it's worked pretty well.
0: Okay, Now, I'm really excited to talk to Tom for a couple reasons. Uh, For starters, me and him have a lot in common. Uh, We're both in long-term recovery. We both are blessed to not have uh, hair on top of our head. Uh, We both have MSWs, and we are both incredibly charismatic. So I think this should be a really fun interview for everybody. That's
1: right, David. So, how long have you been in recovery, Tom? Uh, almost 27 years. In June, it'll be 27 years. of uh, I, I define that as living without alcohol and drugs for, uh, for all that time.
0: That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. So, I'm not here to talk about your recovery, unfortunately, but what was the one big thing that impacted you and has helped you uh, not just attain but maintain your recovery?
1: Well, I think, you know, for me, it's been um, it certainly has been a spiritual quest and it's been uh, an evolving spiritual quest over the years. And I've learned a tremendous amount, uh, learned a tre- tre- tremendous about about myself and background of trauma and how I dealt with it then and how I deal with it now. And uh, and then just, you know, availing myself to all the gifts and, um, and treasures that are available through recovery. I've been, had a really, really amazing life in recovery. So um, I've, uh, I, uh, I, it's, I live a daily life that I, I could, ne- could never even have imagined when I was out there using.
0: I say that. I, I'm like, sometimes I wake up in the morning, I have to pinch myself <laughs> yeah. because I can't believe that people actually pay me to do what I used to do for free.
1: Right. You know, yeah. uh, sometimes I think, you know, I get all overwhelmed and I, like, I've got so much to do and, and how am I going to get all this done? And I just have to stop and take a breath and realize what a life of abundance is and, uh, and how... Uh, um, Fortunate I am to to have all of these problems and issues right. uh, that are taking up my time and energy. That's it's, uh, it's all good stuff. Yeah.
0: Absolutely, you, I, I like what you talked about that the growth. You know, I think of the SAMSHA definition of recovery, where it talks about striving to maintain your full potential, and I think that's a huge part of recovery. Is it's an action word and it's an ongoing action
1: word. Yeah, and I, I, I you know it's like I I don't know that I. I I know that I, I, I didn't know what my potential was or how to get it, right. you know, and that caused me so much baffling, pondering that things became much, much clearer and much less vague uh, when I was in recovery. And, and, uh, and other people around me pointed out that, you know, I was good at certain things that I had shied away from my whole life. Right. Leadership, right? I was terrified of leadership when I was using. Uh, always hid behind, you know, so to be able to step forward uh, and be confident about that is um, a pretty big thing in my life, you
0: know. And speaking of leadership in the SAMHSA definition for recovery, uh, for those who aren't familiar, SAMHSA is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration in the United States, and they have their hands on a lot of things, but Tom, you were a presidential appointee.
1: Yeah, Um, so I was an Obama appointee in that administration, and I uh, served as senior... Excuse me, senior advisor uh, to the administrator of SAMHSA. As well as uh, I was the acting director for the Center for Substance Abuse Treatment. I mean, how does that feel? I mean, to be at that
0: level of a career where a president, you know, somebody who, who's been, been elected at a national election as the person to be the commander of the free world, as they say. Said, "Hey, you know what? You're the guy that I want to do that."
1: Well, I was, uh, I was a big fan of Obama as our president. I, I won't be shy about that. Um, so that was a huge honor, and I wasn't the only one. My friend Tom Kader was a presidential appointee, and uh, uh, Michael Botticelli was, uh, you know, the the, the drug czar at uh, ONDCP, and we were all uh, out about our recovery, and. Um, um, so, yeah, it wasn't something I, I sought out. It, it came to me. Uh, I had to sort of grapple uh, making that decision whether to do that or not. Uh, so, so many people said, you know, of course you have to do it. Um, and it was a, a real gift and honor. And I learned so much there and was able to participate in, in certain things. But, but, David, one of the things that was really uh, a turning point for me was I've always said, you know, social change comes from the bottom up. And so you need people that will work inside and outside the right. system. So when I was there, like I, I really underestimated how important it was to the recovery community that that they had a representative in in a, in a high-ranking place like that. And I got so many you know uh, emails and calls of people that were just so proud but Absolutely. um the the whole thing was that uh, you know to be able to be in a position like that and open doors and invite people in from the community to be represented in meetings and uh, task forces and those kinds of things was just a huge huge uh opportunity uh, to include lived experience and community representation on uh, on issues and uh, and and d- decision making boards that mattered
0: right and I think that's huge I know uh. The disabil- uh, in the world of disabilities, they kind of came up with the nothing about us without us. That's
1: exactly where it came from. People always forget that, but that's that's the community it came from.
0: You know, and, and that's something that I think, unfortunately, a lot the recovery world is really just starting to latch on to. I think uh, even though it kind of started, I mean, if you look back... Bill W. actually testified in front of Congress on national TV. Marty
1: Mann uh, you know, it's in the late 40s and early 50s with the National Council on Alcoholism. Uh, yes, it, we have, we have a, a rich but spotty history. Right. right. And I've been doing this work since 1998 um, with the Recovery Community Services Program uh, that was a SAMHSA grant, a CSAT grant, uh, to mobilize the recovery community. So that was 20 years ago. And so I've seen tremendous change in 20 years, but again, it's like it's a drop in the bucket. We have so much work ahead of us. And sometimes it feels like one step forward, two steps back, you know, and I'm trying to to change that up to two steps forward, one step back. Um, But but I am really proud uh, of how far we've come in a really short amount of time.
0: Yeah, I still... Whenever it comes to community organizing, one of the problems I still run into sometimes, and I don't want to single anybody out, but I feel like I have a foot in both of these worlds, so maybe I'm calling out myself too. Uh, The faith community and uh, the 12-step community, a lot of times there's this, uh, they don't want to get involved with something that isn't theirs. You know, They're like, well, that's not my fellowship, or you know what, if that's not 100% about the group that I'm involved in, then I don't want to get, then I'm not going to invest in it. How, what do you do to get some of those uh, organizations or people from those uh, communities involved?
1: Well, it happens on all all levels, David. So it happens with the recovery advocacy folks and the harm reduction folks. It happens with the faith-based folks and the 12-step folks. It happens with treatment and recovery services. It's I uh, I just get so tired of this. It's like, folks, um, we have a sense, a great sense of urgency before us. People are dying. People have always died of addiction, but it, it's right. it, you know it's sort of in, in our face right now. People are dying. We want to save people's lives and we want to help them reach their full potential and get better. Right? I mean isn't Absolutely. that the goal and if we keep our eye on that common goal which we that we all like get into our little niches our own uh, 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 we're protecting our own funding streams our own se- sense of self-importance our own ego it gets in the way of the work and the work is do we want people to get better or not and are we gonna work together to make that happen because the people we're talking about are people that, that like you and me David people that society traditionally has not cared about right and and has diminished the, our value in the world and we're we're turning that around and saying wait a minute we have tremendous value in this world we're living proof that recovery works and it and it's manifest in our lives and we can make that happen in other people's lives but it's you know we need all hands on chip in order to make that happen
0: Absolutely, I spoke last night, and that's one of the things I always say when I speak. You know, I go through some of the stuff and then, that that I've accomplished, and then I say, you know, and I don't say that to brag. I say that because I want you to know the potential of somebody in recovery. And I'm not an anomaly. I'm not a unicorn. There's 23 and a half Absolutely. million of us in recovery in this country, and yet most people, if you talk to them, they don't know somebody in recovery. Well, so. and
1: that's our, and that's our own fault too, because we've stayed hidden. Right. Right. And so and, and, and I say it's our own fault, but it's like, you know, I'm gay. So I know the power of coming out. Uh, and I know, uh, you know there's a whole history of people coming out and a whole movement built built on that. And, you know, just back to our earlier conversation about the, the slow movement of social change. So, you know, 50 years it took, almost 50 years to, between Stonewall, which was the big turning point in the gay movement and gay marriage. Right. Right. Uh, that's that seems like for a young person, that seems like an awful long uh, amount right. of time. That's and historically, that's pretty quick. So, so you know, so there's things that, that you have to be patient. Though you have to work incrementally and hold the line all along the way. Lose battles, lose battles. Keep people moving forward. That's that's how social change works. So, but back to what you were saying, and I, and I forgot I forgot what we were talking about. No. Um, <laughs> that happens. I go down rabbit trails all the time. Um, there was something about um, the, the, the living proof thing and. Um, so uh, th- this like common ground, you know, it's like if we can figure out a common goal or a common set of goals and, 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 and common ground and work what we know as recovery principles and values around that, then, then I have total trust that we're going to move forward and we're going to win. Right. Uh, you know, oh, but, but, you know, uh, well, I think now I'm remembering historically people haven't cared about us. And, and I said that, that was our own fault, but people, and I talked about coming out. People, some people have reason not to come out, um, no matter what. So they may have a history of trauma where they have a, a tremendous amount of fear, but they also may face consequences right. about being out about their recovery. Just about being out about your gay, you face consequences. But I also know personally that when you do come out, because I've come out twice, right? <laughs> right. Um, that it's so liberating to not have to, to lie or tell secrets or hide. And, um, and, and, but, you know, until we clear the air for all that to happen, um, it's not my responsibility to out anybody. And if you are not ready to come out about your recovery, you can help us in other ways. But, but the power of people seeing the face and voice of recovery, the power of people seeing that we exist is a very, very powerful power, you know, and and that, uh, because it changes hearts and minds.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's, you got to pull on the heartstrings. You know, uh, that was one thing at the meeting that I was at last night. There was a kid there in recovery, and his aunt was there. And, uh, I mean, she's just bawling while, while he's talking because of the change and because now when she goes to bed at night, she doesn't freak out when the phone rings at 2 o'clock. In fact, she can sleep because she knows she's not going to get that phone call that he's dead. You know, I think it's huge. So, so as we're starting to organize, I mean, what are some of your tips if, say, a community is just starting... To, uh, to try to get together. I mean, what would you do? I know, like when we started, we called a meeting and we got, tr- you know, uh, directors uh, from the treatment providers. We got business owners. We invited politicians, which didn't show up at first. But, you know, it, it's kind of, as it's gained momentum, we got some of the leaders from the recovery community and brought them together. I mean...
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, uh, uh, my, my MSW is in community organizing, so that's, that's uh, what I studied in social work school. And so, you know, my first, uh, the things I learned there was the first thing you do is you bring people together. And, uh, and in my experience, uh, the first group you bring together are, are people in the recovery community. Uh, the, the other folks you mentioned, they're like second tier. Right. But just to bring people in, uh, that are in recovery and start to ask them some questions about what's working, what's not working, um, like, you know, what's lacking in the community that, 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 they, that they could see happening. Um, and, and people are going to be really slow at that at first because they're, they're not being used to ask those questions. But just explore that with them about, if, you know, if, if, if you were going to build a recovery community in this town or this neighborhood or this city, what would it look like? and just have people start building a vision. Because I think a lot of times we move forward but we don't have a vision of where we're going or what we're building. And so people can sort of realize their full potential, not only individually, not only in families, but as an entire community. Um, that's a very powerful thing. And then the second tier, like once you start sort of mapping some of that out, you bring in law enforcement and you bring in child welfare and you bring in the, the chamber of commerce and you bring in the mayor's office. You, know, you bring in all those folks uh, and then you start, uh, you start getting thereby into stakeholders. Uh, but I think for me, the impetus always has to be on recovery and, in, and it has to be grounded in the recovery community. We give away things so quickly and so easily, um, and let somebody else take it over when it, it when it's really ours. And you know, I'm going to talk about recovery-oriented systems of care today. And you know, I I I said earlier, social change always comes from the ground up. It comes from the grassroots. It comes from the community. It doesn't come from top policymakers. Um, right. They're fine with the way things are. You know, um, that's maybe a blanket statement, but you know what I'm saying. Right. And so, um, so how do you cultivate those change agents on the ground? Uh, and how do you and how do you engender a sense of ownership that, that this is what we created? So the thing about Rosk, ROSC didn't come from state systems or federal systems. People, it came from people in the community saying, "Wait a minute, you know, we're not really represented here the way we should be. We're the we're the folks that this is all about." Right. Uh, Either in active addiction or in recovery and we need to be not only at the table, but sort of, you know, guiding the ship here. So, you know, I think that that's, um, for community organizing, it's a really important thing that, that I I always say people own what they create. And if they're part of creating something, they have full ownership in it. Uh, And then you invite the other folks in and, you know, say, this is what we're thinking, how can you help us, and then how can we build this together? Right.
0: Right. So what I noticed, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, we were one of the original 15 uh, grassroots pilot projects for the Facing Addiction community program that they started. And as we built up, the first year I tried to stick with people in recovery – And I didn't get a lot of buy-in. When I brought in the family members, that's when I got a lot of buy-in. I got people that were there on time. They were there early. They left late. You know, it, it was weird. I don't know if it's because they already have ownership. You know, and that's something I've ran into, at least in my community, is they have ownership in their brand of recovery. And that's where they invest all their time. And a lot of the a lot of the people that I approached weren't willing to step outside of that and give time to something else?
1: Well that's, you know, so I've always thought the family members were part of the, of the recovery community. I never separated that out. Okay. And I think in the early days we had a hard time pulling in the family experience. Um, now everything has shifted because you have so many parents that are pissed off with the system. Right. Either they lost their kids to overdoses um, their, their, their kids are currently out there, the kids are in and out of treatment, um, they can't get the right help for them, uh, they're very frustrated, um, and they feel like they've been sold a bill of goods that ha- has not paid off, right? Um, so I'm right behind them, like, you know, it's like, yes, you had anger, right you know, we're, we're gonna channel that anger. So, so, you know, in that situation, I think you always go where it's warm. Um, you know, in the early years, trying to convince... Um, Died in the 12-step leaders, they weren't having it. Um, many of them still aren't, right. you know? I think Greg uh, Williams' The Anonymous People shifted some people's thinking, you know? Yeah. Uh, because it gave them a historical reference about Bill Wilson and, and Marty Mann and all those things. But I, I always say pe- that people need to know their history. Right. Like you didn't you know where you came from, and you need to know who came before you, right? Um, so, so, but, but, but that said, it's like in those early early years, I, I learned it's like, I, it's not my job to convince them to step forward with this. It's right. like, just let them be and find out the people that do want to step forward. It was a handful, right? So, you know, um, the first uh, PRO Act uh, in, in Southern Pennsylvania, the first uh, event they had, the first march was like 100 people showed up. Now they have 15,000. That's you know? amazing. So it's so, it, and that's the same organization. So we all started off really small and, and just, you know, had patience and faith and, and, and we nurtured it and made it grow. So right. it's, you know, it's like, it doesn't matter who's in the room. It's like if they have energy, harness it. Right. Uh, and right now I, I'm looking at the parent movement, you know, really, really strongly because um, they, these folks have staying power. Uh, and the fact that they they're you know that that they're they're dealing with a loss, which I think you know, with that kind of loss, you also need to have therapeutic and, and other right. kinds of support. So you can't just do it through advocacy. but the advocacy voice is very, very strong. and policymakers listen to that.
0: You yeah, I, I always say, I don't know if there's anything more powerful than some of the moms I have st- who have lost their kids standing there sharing Absolutely. their story. So, we talked about, uh, you talked about Rosts, and uh, I want to say something really quick before I ask you this question. Uh, Don Cahoyas, who is a phenomenal what leader, in a, especially in the Native American mentors, yes. uh, recovery community, but in the recovery community, period, uh, he talks about an illustration, and here he's talking about the culture and the spirituality of the Native Americans. And me, I'm talking about our communities. Period in the United States, where he says, imagine that you have a hundred acres of like a hundred acres sick forest,
1: you know, healing forest. Yeah, yeah.
0: And he talks about you know you take this tree out of, and I'll just I'll put it in my own words, but you know basically you take this tree out of this corrupted soil in the sick forest and say you put it in a nursery and nutrient dense soil and you give it the water that it needs and you give it adequate sun. And then as soon as it starts to get healthy, you replant it right back in that same corrupted soil in that same hundred acres of sick forest. Nobody would do that. Nobody would do that with a bush or a flower or a tree, but we're doing it every single day when our brothers, our sisters, our sons, our daughters, our moms, our dads get out of treatment, jail, prison. They're going right back to that same sick community that they came out of. And we've got to find ways to make our communities healthier. And I think the ROSC model is one of the things that has the ability to do that. So would you talk a little bit about what a yeah. ROSC so, is? So
1: first of all, you know, I just, I do want to pay correct homage to Don Coyas because uh, I met him in 1998 and he's been, you know, a mentor and a spiritual advisor to me. And I've learned so much from him and his models that are all based in Native American culture, I think are really cross-cultural yeah. uh, and have used them such as such. So um, when he does the Healing Forest, um, I actually, so a, a couple months ago, uh, I looked at the healing forest, and I also looked at what Bill White calls recovery ecologies—okay, uh, communities that are rich in recovery resources—and so I thought it'd be really cool to blend those two. So I, I wrote both of them, and I said, you know, if I um, if I took these two things and right. blended them, like, would you look at them and say, tell me if it works or not? Right. So, uh, so <coughs> I'm going to present that today, this afternoon. That's and, awesome. And so it's, you know, it's. So uh, for years, it's like, uh, if you, you can go to the best treatment in the world. You can go to the best treatment that money can buy. And when you leave the doors and exit uh, treatment and you go back into the community, if that community is not equipped to handle and support and nurture recovery, you're pretty much screwed. Right. And then then we have a, a revolving door in and out of treatment and we blame the person for not getting it. Right. I mean, that's right. That, traditionally, it's the only that, disease. That, we what, do that. We've said, all over, it's a, absolutely. So at, at even like the relapse now is such an ugly word, right? It's like, uh, it, 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 because it because it, it's, become, it, it's become a blaming thing. Right. So um, this whole idea of, you know, re- of recovery ecology, it's like I talked to you earlier about, you know, getting people together and asking what they would envision, you know, Uh, It's like, you know, recovery community centers and peer services and collegiate and high school recovery programs. Recovery housing. Uh, And my vision, they're all working in unison. So it's like this webby network that just that people can't fall through, you know, and that everyone's working together to sort of make this happen. And, you know, people always say, oh, you know, how are we going to pay for that? Don't start there. Right. Start with the vision scale it up, scale it down, pilot it, do whatever, and then worry about how it's going to get paid for. We we, we don't worry about how we're going to pay for cancer patients right. or cancer research. You know, there's other chronic diseases that don't have the same issues as we do, and we get all caught up in, oh, this won't work because, or we tried this, you know, you know and it's like, um, it, it, again, I, it's very frustrating because um, we put... Roadblocks in front of ourselves all the time. So, the thing about ROSC is, it's like, you know, it's like if recovery is, is built in from the beginning all the way to the end and we extend that continuum of care, right? So, it's not, it doesn't end at treatment. I mean, treatment is one single episode in a person's life, and we also know a lot of people don't go to treatment, right? They go right into the community. So, so, you know, and recovery is a lifetime. So what are those supports? What does recovery maintenance look like over a lifetime? Okay. You know, like, because it's a chronic condition and there's not a cure, it just needs to be maintained. Same with diabetes, right? Absolutely. Same with hypertension. And so you need, and and those require lifestyle changes also, but you need support in order to do that. Change is really hard and personal change. You and I both experienced that. It's a, it's, it's daily work Absolutely. because you can always fall back into old patterns. Right. But you know, it's like for somebody, for, uh, for a person with diabetes to, to, um, break down and have a piece of cake, we don't shame them for that. We, we help them get back on right. a regime. Right. But that doesn't, that doesn't work the same way with people with addiction. When people, you know, uh, pick up a drink or, or, um, or you know, snort a line or, 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 or shoot, it's like it, we all fingers are pointing and saying, see, it's your fault it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it's weird with this one. Uh, like, there's some statements I don't like. Uh, I don't like relapse as part of the program uh, just because, you know what, the next you time somebody can. uses, don't yeah. give people permission to use. Uh, it's perfectly okay if there's a recurrence. But you know what? The next time somebody goes back out can be the last thing they do. I also don't like uh, never work harder than the person you're with. If you have higher expectations for somebody that's still actively using than you do for yourself, I always say, get in a di- go to a different job field yeah. because you're going to kill people. Yeah. You know, But I have noticed uh, we did that in Springfield. I started off uh, a nonprofit called Better Life and Recovery in 2012, and the first year we did one event. The second year we did two events. Uh, the third year, we did seven events. The fourth year, we filed for 501c3. Uh, the next year, we f- I found two organizations that were paying for offices. One did faith-based mentoring for treatment courts, and the other one uh, was recovery residences. But they were paying for separate offices, and we sat down and figured out that if I brought in my people and they took the money they were using to pay for offices, that we could open up a recovery community center. So we just opened it up. And, you know, had offices in there for them, but open space, you know, which parlayed the next year when STR grant came out. We were one of the first two RCCs that were actually funded in the state of Missouri. But you're right. Don't worry about the money. The money will come if you're doing the right thing. The support will come. I mean, my board started off really it was family and friends, you know, and now I have state reps and business owners and attorneys. And it's amazing once you get it going. I mean, that's the hard part is pulling the trigger because there's that, that fear, I think, especially in people in early recovery, man, I don't want to do this and fail. But the truth is nothing happens without missteps. I mean, you've got to fall a couple times before you can learn to walk. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: So ROSCs are starting to be a big thing. Uh, I always talk about, it's kind of funny. You talked about treatment. Not everybody needs treatment. In my analogy, I always say treatment's kind of like surgery. And not everybody needs surgery, but some people definitely do. Recovery supports are like physical therapy, right? Some people just need physical therapy. They don't need surgery. And other people, they need physical therapy after their surgery. I mean, we walk recovery supports. If you look at research, you know, it takes anywhere from 12 to 18 months for the brain's uh, neurotransmitters to replenish with meth. It can take up to two years because the brain has to rebuild dopamine receptors. But the piece of research that's really scary is the piece that says once you attain three to five years of recovery, and for some people it's five years because that's how long it truly takes the neural pathways in your brain to rewire, that's the biggest indicator that you will not use again. And we don't follow people like that. I mean, somebody goes to treatment and after 28 days, congratulations, you've graduated and they go on their way. Avoid slippery people, places, and things. You'll do just fine. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't like relapse prevention plans. I, uh, when I was a therapist, I always did recovery enhancement plans with the people I worked with. Let's not say you can't do this, you can't go here, you can't talk to these people. Let's say, you know what, here's people you can hang out with, here's places you... What do you like to do? Okay, let's figure out ways for you to do it. You know, I know with our RCC, that's one of the things, uh, you know, we do outside events, And I never thought we'd have a bowling night, but some people like to bowl. We have a stream team because some people like to float. We play laser tagger paintball once a month because some people like to do that. We had a sewing class there because people asked for it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's like, so part of that is, you know, being able to have uh, socialization activities and and, and recovery that don't involve using. Because that's that's how we used to have fun. And also just to, to promote having fun. Because if we're not doing that... Like, why would anybody want to be in recovery? I mean, you Absolutely. know, it's like, it's not all work. It's got to be fun. Right. And so, um, you know, t- t- the celebration that happens that when we're together, um, I think, you know, we need to promote that all the time because we, we want to attract, right? It's right. It's like, we want people to think, oh, I want some of that.
0: Yeah, we've got to make it look attractive. And I know sometimes there's some gloom and doom people, you know, but I mean, the gifts of recovery, you talked about it at the beginning. You know, I mean, to look at where my life is today and look at where it was 15 years ago, I mean, it's night and day. It's like walking out of hell into Valhalla. You know, I mean, here I have this amazing world that's been built now. um, And all of it is because of my recovery. You know, I speak a lot. And people don't want me to come speak because of my degree. People want me to come speak because of my lived experience. You know, we have so many experts. Because if you're in recovery from anything. I always say you're a hope dealer because you have the ability to share with other people that success is possible. Yeah, absolutely. Whether you're in recovery from substance use disorders, remission from cancer. I mean, there's so many different ways. Absolutely. You know, but we've got to figure out ways to to get the grassroots movement to swell.
1: Well, it is swelling. It's swelling at its own rate. <laughs> so, I, no, but, no I, again, I... I, I 1998, 1999, 2000. Lucky to get seven people in a room, right? Right, uh, and and four of them weren't sure why they were there, right? So 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 it was for the coffee. So, so I know what that <laughs> feels like, you know. And and right. you go home and you think, oh man, is this ever going to happen? And then uh, some sparks ignite and some fire catches and and uh, some events happen, you know. Like I, I talked about the anonymous people, that was a huge turning point. Uh, the, the face, facing addiction on the, uh, the National Mall, you know, like right. huge turning points. Uh, and, and also, and then young people coming along who didn't have any of the baggage of right. anonymity uh, or, 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 or you know, because everything about their life was an open book on uh, with right. social media. Um, so they brought a whole new energy. So, you know, it, 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 it's evolving all the time. And um, we're not going to get everybody to step forward. Right. Think of all the other social movements. Not everybody. In fact, the majority of people did not step forward. Right. They may have supported it, they may have not supported, it, but but they didn't. They, they you know they didn't step over the line. You always have to have. You always have like that that sort of group of f- firebrands that'll do that. Right. That are, will just be fearlessly sort of pushing that envelope all the time. Um, the the thing is is like is at least getting support from the people that won't cross the line. Like, are you at least with us? Will you support us? Will you give a dollar? Like right. You know, will you read a blog if it comes to you once a month? Those kinds of things. Like, keep an open mind. Um, and, uh, but, you know, we're a formidable force now. Like, this, did, this didn't right. exist 20 years ago. It was still hidden in church basements. So, so I have a tremendous amount of hope because, because we're not going, we're, we're, we're not going to step back. We're not turning back. Right. We can't. We've come too far, and, and people, you know, all the people who know who we are now, they're paying attention to us whether they want to or not. Ten years ago, they, st- they thought they still couldn't didn't have to pay attention they to us. They could sweep us under the But they the have rug. to pay attention to us now. And, we, and we've learned. We, we have some skills. You know, we're learning, you know, social change uh, methodology, and we're learning uh, research methods, and we're learning, like, all kinds of things about how to push our issues forward. So. Um, I, you know, I, like I said, I have tremendous hope, tremendous faith, um, that you know that that recovery is going to keep evolving. I think the biggest challenges we face are that we don't circle the wagons and shoot inward, right? Um, and, and, and as a field, we have a history of that, and that we start having an open enough mind to say, you know, if we talk about multiple pathways to recovery, uh, we talk about. Um, harm reduction as a public health uh, approach that saves lives. Um, we talk about um, all kinds of approaches, whether they're 12-step or smart recovery or uh, uh, refuge recovery or faith-based. That and start working together. Absolutely. Because our differences are, are going to keep dividing us and separating if we let them. But eyes on the prize. You know, we I want to see anybody who wants to recovery to be able to get it. And anybody who's not there yet to be inspired in their own process about how to get there, and and that's that's what we're all doing here,
0: and I think we need to. I talked about a medication uh, a couple of weeks ago, and that was my thing with medication. Is I'm like, you know, for starters, it's people that are prescribed medication. Period, and it should be a person in recovery. Period. Uh, people don't walk around going hi, hi. My name's David, and I have twelve uh, step assisted recovery you know, recovery is recovery, and we need to start looking at that. If somebody is, you know, uh, living the life that they choose to live and they're making those positive steps forward, I'm proud of them, and I don't care whether they believe, you know, whether their holy book is the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, or the Bible, or if they have no spiritual program, or if they're prescribed medication, they've gone to treatment, they've gone to prison, whatever it is, because there's truly multiple pathways to recovery, and
1: there's no wrong path. So so you brought it up. <laughs> so, you know, the, the whole uh, issue about medication, that's divided us for, for decades, right? There's a whole history of that. Um, and now, you know, medication, is it, it's a, a FDA-approved medications, uh, evidence-based practice, uh, known to save lives, and then there's still people in our field and our community that say, well, I don't believe in it. Right. right, and it's like so. My answer to that is, what, what, what about science? Don't you believe in? Because, like, you know, like they, this is all science based, right? Um, some people don't, you know, choose not to believe in science, whatever. Right. Um, but, but you know, uh, the, it, it all boils down to methadone and buprenorphine, which are opioid based. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. Oh yeah, if it was so, all the trial, so they for, wouldn't fight for, it. For years, people on methadone weren't even granted the option to consider themselves in recovery. Right. They were shunned by the recovery community, and they were shunned by specific, by specific 12-step communities. Oh yeah, and, they, and, they and wrote a are, bulletin about it. And still are. And so, you know, it's like, so first of all, I'm not a doctor, Right. but if you're prescribed medication by a doctor, that's good enough for me. Yeah. If you're working with your doctor to figure out the dosage and all that, that's good enough for me. Um, if it's making you feel better, it's good enough for me. And if you are taking those medications and not doing heroin or, and not smoking pot and not drinking liquor and not doing all those other substances, then you are in abstinence-based recovery. And Absolutely. we need to change that terminology because people say, "What's well, not abstinence-based. It is abstinence-based. Right. You're on medication that's being monitored and you're not doing any of that other stuff. And, and if you actually have a recovery program on top of that, all the better. Right. I talk about the three-legged stool. Medication, psychosocial supports, recovery supports. That makes a whole person. Absolutely. So, you know, So uh, uh, do I believe that medication by itself is, is, uh, is effective? It, it, it certainly addresses the symptoms. Right. But it doesn't really by itself usher in recovery the way we know. And I think that's a
0: scary thing for some people is there's a push with medication. And I understand the 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 meaning, why the reasoning behind it. Somebody, because they miss an appointment, shouldn't have their medication discontinued because that could kill them.
1: What other disease would we do that with?
0: None. Sorry you didn't show up for your doctor's appointment, Sorry. so you're not going to get... It's shaming, it's
1: shaming and punishing. Yeah. But...
0: There's also, by some people, been a push just to get people on medication and not, in, not, giving, not give them any kind of foundation. And that's where I think some people have issue. I mean, if we look at some of the research, though, on like, Suboxone, you're going to see that, you know, what I love about Suboxone, uh, some of the research, it shows that they're more likely to go to meetings, more likely to have a sponsor, and they're more likely to stay engaged. And the bottom line is it keeps people alive and dead people never find recovery. That's absolutely right. You know,
1: so so yeah. I think you know anything that helps, we're going to embrace. We're going to figure out a way right. to incorporate. Uh, anything that doesn't help, we're going to push to the side. And uh, and you know, it's like it's anything in recovery. I've learned to have an open mind, and a what if kind of attitude. And unfortunately, not everybody in the recovery community is there yet. Right. Um, but that's what, you know, that's what we're, we're it's part of our development is that, 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 you know, that we think differently than we used to and that we're open to different possibilities, right? Not only for myself, but for you and right. for everybody else. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's as simple as that, but, but so hard to achieve, like so hard to put into practice.
0: So I think we're going to wind down. Um, I'm going to ask you one last question, I think. So when I talk to somebody who tells me they're an advocate... Or they tell me that they want to become an advocate. I tell them this. You're not an advocate if you have to walk up to your state rep or your senator and introduce yourself. Right? Because if you're actually an advocate, not if you're becoming an advocate, but once you're an advocate, they should know you by name. You should have them, if you have a recovery community center, a treatment center, a recovery house, you should have already had them over and given them a tour and talked to them about all the positive things you're doing and let one or two people share a success story with them.
1: Oh David, you're so hardcore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so if you have somebody who says, you know what, you know, I, I want to become uh, an advocate for the recovery community, what are the first three things you would say, hey, no, this the, is what you need to do? The first
1: i tell them is to shadow David, <laughs> or find a David and shadow Right, because, I, because this is part of, of my responsibility. I always say to him much is given, much is required, uh, and I've been given a lot. So I take mentoring very, very right. seriously. Uh, And I mentor lots of young people who ask me. Um, And so it's, um, you know, you give it away. And so, but they have to be willing in order to ask for it. And in order to stay the course with it, so that that's sort of the, the first place I go, or to connect them with people like you, it's like you really need to shadow David for a month or three months, and so that because a lot of what you what you said is totally true, but not everybody's there yet, right? And and part of it is building up confidence, you know, and so um, and the system that you're talking about, the, the those kinds of legislative leaders, uh. uh, the, uh that system is is designed to exclude, right. So you have to help people sort of fi- find their comfort level and push them into it gently. Um, so I think that I think that's an aspirational goal that you're that you, you stated, but I think it's a process <laughs> right. of, of helping people get there. Because I just know for so many people, especially in early recovery, everything is you know every obstacle is just a huge insurmountable wall. And then to help people scale that down and walk through it. Not walk around it, not climb right. over it, walk through it. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I think it's baby steps. And for people that are not used to disclosing their recovery status, that's scary. Um, like, you know, like going to the state house is scary the first time. Right. Um, and that's why we have to develop tip sheets for people and teach them how to talk and, and tell their story in an appropriate way. But, you know, I think all of those things are, are, are lead up to what you're talking about. So, like, when you get to the, the point where they know your name or, or they, they greet you by first name or they come to your event in the community, you know you've really, you're on some solid ground. The, the problem is, is that when they get elected out, then you have to start all over again with somebody else. Right. But, but that's, you know, it's um, part of that is just willing to be visible and vocal with your recovery as the access, you know, uh, and that's, um, people need to learn how to do that.
0: Yeah. That's why I like, and don't like term limits.
1: You know, I like
0: term limits because I think we need fresh, innovative thinkers switching in and out. And we don't need people to kind of build up that good old boy system. But at the same time, you build that relationship and you get somebody that's on fire. And then they're like, Man, sorry, but this is my last, you know, this is my last term in there. And you're like, well, can't you run for Senate from the House? You know, I mean, we're trying to push some of those people to stay there because they've been such a powerful voice. Yeah, and,
1: and you know, I, I'll share a little secret with you. Um, like, I... And, uh, I don't know how to say this. I am essentially not a political animal. I I don't have the stomach for politics. Right. Um, what I would love is teaching people how to do it and organizing people to do it, organizing groups to, to, to do those uh, legislative visits right. to figure out who's going to go first, who's going to, you know, I that's what I, and I, I, part of that is just because I love working with community people and I love seeing that spark happen. You know, it's like, um, I, 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 I can be in a room full of of uh, people in recovery, especially people in early recovery, and I can sniff out all the leaders, all the potential leaders, and the they don't even know it yet. Right. But I, I but I, 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 can see that spark, and I love, I love when people uh, go back and get their GED. You know, people who dropped out of school to get their, and then they had that hunger for knowledge, and then like just getting them to go to community college right. like to get them to cross that threshold is so intimidating because all their life they've been told they're not college material. And to see them learn and progress and get degrees and, and get fulfilled, it's, it, it's, it's, I, I know it happens outside the recovery community, but in the recovery community, it's like that's really taking advantage of your second chance. So you're preaching in the choir on that. I'll share
0: something with you really quick. Um, I turned 21 in prison, and I always say the only good thing that I did when I was in prison is I got my GED. And then uh, at 29, I, I found out that I'd scored high enough on my GED that I took it 21 to get a scholarship. So I started at an area college and I got an associate's degree. And from there I transferred into a college for my bachelor's and that was intimidating. Uh, I had to go in front of the dean and explain to him why he should let me, a felon, attend his college. But by the time I got to my master's degree, I mean, when I wrote the reason they should, you know, you got to write kind of that Uh, reason why you should let me in. It was all about my recovery because... I'd gotten that confidence, and I think that's something we forget sometimes, or at least I do. Is I forget how hard oh, it is to share, especially absolutely. in the very beginning.
1: Uh, you know, it's like uh, the, the, all the confidence I have came incrementally, and it came, uh, it came as a gift. But I didn't have any of it. Right. Um, so, so I, I love your, st- you know, you're the poster child. You're, you're, you know, you're a recovery success story. The, the, the kind that just delights me so much. Because um, because we all share a, a, a collegiate friendship now, you know, right. like we're, we're all we're colleagues in this world, um, and it's and, and we all sort of got there through a very right. similar path, right?
0: Yeah, and I mean there is there's amazing people. You talked about Tom Cauder. I mean, you talked about the fact that we had a drug czar that was actually in long term recovery. I mean, we have Bill White, who's kind of the the, the historian of the recovery movement. You know, I mean, it, it, it's amazing. I feel like I walk in the shadows of giants all the time.
1: Well, I, I, I do too. I, I, I always say, you know, it's like we walk in the shadows of giants and we stand on the shoulders of giants because so many uh, amazing people have come before us. And many of them are faceless. Right. Right. But, but they forged all of this. So, to, you know, so I was at the, uh, I do a lot of work with the collegiate recovery groups and I, 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 I addressed uh, that uh, leadership summit a few weeks ago. And I addressed them, and, I, and it was just like, these are young people, you know, and I said, like, you, you cannot take for granted the seat you're sitting in, because people, you know, there was blood, sweat, and tears that happened right. to make those seats available, and you need to pay homage to that all of the time, and never take it for granted, but you have, again, you have to know your history, and you have to know that what, what's being given to you right now, is, uh, is is the culmination of a lot of, of hard, hard activist work to make that right. happen. And that, um, that, you know, to whom much is given, much is required.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we wouldn't have the recovery movement we have right now uh, if it wasn't for, you know, I think of national organizations like Faces and Voices of Recovery and Facing Addiction. I mean, and it took a while to get those and to get the support and for those people to build that up. So I want to summarize really quick what I heard you say for an advocate. So an advocate, number one, uh, it's kind of like a, a sponsor. Find somebody whose life you want. Find that person that you're like, I want to be like that person in the community. Um, and I always say anytime anybody comes up to me and they're like, I want to do what you do, I'm like, be better. Please. I just ask you to, to do what I do and be better. Um, second thing you said is because it can be kind of uh, scary. Uh to share your story at first, uh, maybe get that story together, get it written down, and maybe start sharing it in front of smaller groups and build up. Sure. Okay.
1: And but Write it down, you know, do, but, but practice it, right? Right. So if you're developing an advocacy practice. And that's kind of what we do with
0: recovery language training is we help them. First, we talk about the language. The, better language to use, because it sounds a lot better whenever I'm in front of, say, a politician or a city council member to go, hi, I'm a person in long-term recovery, and what that means for me is instead of going, hi, my name's David, I'm a junkie, <laughs> right? Okay, and, uh, and then one more thing. Okay, we got those two. What's one more thing you would tell somebody? <laughs> just start now.
1: Um, just trust yourself that, you know, because I think we're all experts in change, We've all undergone a personal transformation. And if you can scale that personal transformation up to uh, a a, a community or societal transformation, you know know all of how that works. All you have to do is scale it up. And you know how difficult it is, and you know where all the obstacles are, and you know where all the setbacks are. And just remember all that all the time, that you're a complete expert at this, and you you know what you're doing, and confidence will follow
0: right that's what I always tell people I say you're the world's foremost expert on your story in closing I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast please join us every week for new episodes if you want to connect with us further if you have any questions topics you'd like to hear in the future or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com there's a better life and recovery page on facebook or you can uh, we're on twitter uh blir underscore npo also this podcast is part of the studio dna podcast network you can find out more about the network at studiodna.media thanks a lot y'all have a great week